It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. And we're coming to you live from the Billy C Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you listen, whenever you're watching, I hope you're doing okay today. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant located on St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. Or give Sal a call, 912-268-2328, 912-268-2328. Find out why you should go all the way to St. Simon's for an authentic Italian meal. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by the Holiday Inn Express, or any Holiday Inn property for that matter. You travel in some place, you need to stay at a hotel, stay at a Holiday Inn property. Why? Because I can get you a Billy C. discount. That's right. All you got to do when you're ready to make a reservation is call toll-free 844-603-0364. 844-603-0364. Or if you're like me and you can't remember a phone number, just visit our website, billycboxing.com, and click on the Holiday Inn banner. And today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino, From Bondage, The Baddest Men on a Planet, is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy of this book right now where you're watching or listening to this show. All you got to do is visit barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Uh, find out why I'm so adamant about getting uh, Tom Molino's story told. Um... Coming up later in the week, uh, specifically tomorrow, uh, our blast from the past features uh, Memphis Pal Moore, Hall of Famer. Uh, Alex Perpali and I will be talking about him. Also, Boxing Hall of Famer Larry Hazard will join us. We'll get his thoughts on uh, a lot of stuff, you know, uh, the fights from this past weekend and some fights that are scheduled for this weekend, uh, which brings me to some of the topics we're going to talk about today. Um, Daniel Jacobs, is he the best? middleweight out there today i mean um you know everybody could make the argument about triple g or even the cheater canelo um but uh when push comes to shove is daniel jacobs uh, really the best middleweight out there um we'll talk about that i got some uh, updates in terms of uh, what we talked a little about yesterday in, in, with uh uh, the pardoning of uh, the late, great Hall of Fame, former world heavyweight champion, and one of the best ever um, in my all-time great list. Jack Johnson is uh, clearly in the top 10. Um, we'll talk about that pardoning. We'll talk about uh, the lawsuits 
that have been going back and forth uh, between uh, Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua and speaking about Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. Um, you know, it's my estimation that if the fight is not signed, sealed, and delivered this week, we will not see the fight in 2018. I had uh, long ago predicted that the fight would not happen in 2018, but it looked like I was going to be wrong, and it still looks like I could possibly be wrong if the negotiations um, can uh, happen and work out well this week. As a matter of fact, uh, it is uh, reported that Eddie Hearn uh, and Team Wilder, uh, specifically uh, Shelly Finkel and Al Heyman are scheduled to meet uh, this week, Thursday to be specific, uh, to uh, try and hash out uh, a deal. Now, no communication, at least that, you know, with my channels, have I seen that Team Wilder has made any kind of uh, comment or counteroffer or anything. Now, that doesn't mean it's not happening because the way it should happen quite honestly, is, uh, is the fact that uh, um, these guys shouldn't even be, um, these guys shouldn't even be uh, communicating through the media. Unfortunately, um, they do. And, uh, you know, I, I would like to see, uh, you know, uh, these guys working uh, towards uh, a contract. I mean, obviously, in a perfect world, that's what we would like. And hopefully we could see uh, something along those lines uh, forming, taking place, maybe even an announcement uh, as soon as uh, Thursday. Uh, so we will uh, see about that. Um, I hope it happens because if not, it's not going to happen this year, uh, the fight. And the reason is because the 30-day negotiation period for the mandatory, the WBA mandatory fight between uh, Anthony Joshua and Alexander Povetkin ends on May 5th, which is a week from Thursday, I believe. So if, um, if Team uh, Joshua and Team Wilder can't come up with a deal that they could submit before the WBA, before the deadline. Remember, the deadline is the deadline, which means that any other potential contracts or, or deals have to be presented uh, prior to that. And, and the reason is that it's supposed to, and I say it, meaning the fight between Povetkin, who's the mandatory WBA uh, challenger, uh, for Anthony Joshua, that the free negotiation period ends on the 30th. Then they will schedule a purse bid. Uh, I don't think that Team Hearn, uh, or AJ, however you want to look at it, wants this to go uh, to a purse bid in any way, shape, or form. Um, at least uh, that's my thinking. Uh, I, you know, I would think that uh, um, they certainly uh, uh, would want that to um, you know, come up with a deal prior uh, to that. So, um, because, face it, they have to present the, uh, you know, unification option between AJ and Deontay Wilder to the WBA, which means 
that Povetkin has to get some step-aside money. I, I don't know. Uh, Team Povetkin has been very adamant about saying that they're not going to take step-aside money and that they're not going to fight anyone else, that they want their shot. So uh, we'll see what happens uh, uh, with that. I, I, I think that the fight has to be made, and I think that there's a very good chance uh, that uh, it'll be made, um, you know, uh, this week, I, I'm hoping that it's made this week, uh, because if it's tit for tat, and you're saying, "Oh well, no, we're not doing this, we're not doing that," oh, we want this, we want that, and and they're far apart. Come Thursday when they meet, then forget about it. Forget about it. It's not going to happen. And then you have to say to yourself, "Well, why?" You know, was 12.5 million the initial offer that uh, Team AJ? gave to Deontay Wilder was that an insulting offer um you know that's neither here nor there uh you know when you look at the statistics for Deontay Wilder and the uh purses that he's made to this point 40 and 0 39 by knockout his biggest purse was his last fight against Luis Ortiz 2.5 uh so prior to that he never made two 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 million dollars um you know, so to consider that he is offered ten million uh, more than that, um, you know, it's not. Uh, it can't be a money issue. It, it's it's a it's a you know. Um, uh, I don't want to use greed, even though greed is is in it, but it's more like an ego move. You know, Deontay Wilder's team might be saying, hey, you're the champ. You know, he needs you to unify the titles. You know, you're worth a percentage split, whatever. Um, I, you know, I, I said, you know, many, many times before that my my idea uh, would be uh, a 45-35 split, um, you know, which would equal 80%, 45 going to uh, AJ, 35 to Deontay. Then the winner gets a 20% bonus. Of the, of the profit. I mean, you can't get more fair than that. And what an incentive. Um, but nonetheless, if the fight isn't made, um, you know, come, uh, come Thursday or Friday, uh, you know, if we, if we get an announcement uh, on Friday, um, then, uh, uh, you know, that all, all will be good. I, I'm not counting on it. I, I don't think it's going to happen. I have this feeling that uh, Deontay Wilder really doesn't want the fight, not yet, or his people don't. Uh, let me rephrase it. His people don't want the fight yet, and you know, which makes no sense. Deontay has clearly at least acted very well, like he wants to fight him personally. If his team doesn't make the fight, and and I'm referring to Al Heyman and Shelly Finkel, I don't understand why because. They can't, in this division, and we've talked about it many, many times, in this division, you can't um, have uh, a fighter that is going to have a layup every time because you never know, even with the, the and, and I'm talking about heavyweight, any division really, but heavyweight division more, more so. You know, you could have a guy that was 7 and 50, and all of a sudden he gets in the ring and he lands a lucky shot on, on an undefeated guy and, and the rest is history. And if you look at that scenario, 
for Deontay Wilder to take a chance and say, forget about it. I don't, I, you know, we're not going to accept the, whatever the offer, the final offer was, whatever. And then their, their, their alternative is to fight, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, a couple of fighters lined up. You're not going to make 10 million. Deontay Wilder's value after Ortiz didn't go from 2 million up to 10. He's not going to get paid by his team. Um, you know, $10 million to fight who? What fight would justify $10 million? The only fight that you could have even made a case for was actually the uh, the Luis Ortiz fight. There's no more Luis Ortiz's left. I mean, Nadillion White, but he's going to end up fighting Pulov, from what I understand. Um, Deontay Wilder and his team actually really, when you think about it, don't have many options. And if they drag their feet, the end result is we're not going to see this fight until next year, if then. Because what's going to start to happen, and it started already with the WBA and Alexander Povetkin, is that the mandatory requirements are going to start popping in. Right now, the WBA is putting pressure on AJ to fight their mandatory. Then the IBF is going to be next in line. And then before you know it, the WBO, who he just won that title from Joseph Parker, that's going to take uh, a front stage. And then don't forget Deontay. Deontay made a, uh, a, a defense for the WBC, but then that timetable is up in the fall. So they'll be hassling him for a mandatory. So, you know, these guys, their paths have to cross sooner than later. If they wait, you know, you can make the argument that the, that the uh, marination process of the fight may increase the value, may increase purses, et cetera, et cetera. But the risk for that, Anthony Joshua could be knocked out. Deontay Wilder could be knocked out. And then the fight never happens. And I don't know... If even if Alexander Povetkin, let's say Alexander Povetkin knocks out Anthony Joshua, does a Deontay Wilder against Povetkin uh, bring in as, as much fan excitement as a Wilder-AJ uh, fight? Is, is that fight going to get as much money? Never in a million years. Never in a million years. If Deontay gets knocked out, let's say Deontay loses to, uh, to Brazil. Let's say that fight happens. Dominic Brazil fights uh, Deontay Wilder, which I think is a, a really good fight, by the way. Um, and, and let's say Brazil gets lucky and knocks out Wilder. Does Brazil against AJ bring in as much money as as uh, Deontay Wilder? Remember, uh, Brazil already fought AJ. You know, so does that bring in as much money? You know, I, listen, they're stupid. The teams are stupid if they don't fight now. They can have the, the the rematch or rematches could make way more than the first fight. The first fight has to get done, and you can set up a trilogy. And, and here, here, look at it this way. You're talking about a marination process, right? Well, how about this? How about Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua fight next? That's the next fight. Then, regardless of the outcome, we know that we're going to get a rematch, and then some of the mandatories are going to kick in. And then, uh, you know, you'd get a couple of fights in between, which will build up the rematch. And the rematch will make even more. And, and assuming that AJ beats 
uh, Deontay Wilder, the mandatories are all going to be on AJ's shoulders. If Wilder beats uh, Joshua, then all the mandatories are going to be on his shoulders. It, it, l- let me tell you, they're better off fighting long-term for money. If we're talking about money, and that's what makes this sport go around, if we're talking about money, then the most financial rewarding approach would be to fight now and then drag out the rematch. That's my opinion. Hey, listen, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, I got an email to read. I got some uh, news and notes. We got Dax Khan scheduled in about 15 minutes. Don't go anywhere. Billy C. We'll be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. Um, you know, I, I, we're talking in the beginning of the show, or I was talking in the beginning of the show. Uh, Daniel Jacobs is currently, uh, he's fighting this weekend. We actually have some pretty good fights on, on tap for this weekend. Um, on Saturday, specifically, uh, Jesse Magladano is fighting Isaac uh, Dogbo. Uh, for uh, Magladano's title. On the undercard, we have a heavyweight matchup between uh, Bryant Jennings against Joey Duedjko. And that fight, I, I mean, I don't know how Joey Duedjko even got, um, you know, uh, where he is. But uh, but I, I used to love Bryant Jennings, I, you know, uh, ever since his uh, defeat at the hands of uh, Luis Ortiz. Um, you know, he's been, uh, let's just say, very carefully... Uh, moved and you know etc. Um, so uh, you know I, I'm not I'm not anticipating him having uh, uh, much trouble uh, in in the in the fight with the Wedgeco, but whatever. Um, one of my favorite fighters, uh, um, you know, Josito Lopez. Uh, he's uh, going to be fighting this weekend. Um, you know, uh, one of the worst fighters for the sport of boxing. Him and his brother, the Durrell brothers. Uh, they're fighting. Uh, and then uh, on HBO, we have Danny Jacobs going up against uh, Majik Saluki. And uh, that's for an elimination, a WBA uh, elimination fight. And, um, you know, uh, and then, of course, Baby Miller. Um, you know, he's, uh, uh, he's uh, one of the most uh, overrated uh, fighters in in the division today, and I just uh, don't uh, understand why uh, against Johan Duapaz. But uh, nonetheless, Daniel Jacobs and Saluki are fighting. And my my uh, my point here is Daniel Jacobs. He's currently ranked uh, in the computer rankings at number four. Uh, he's thirty one years old, and I think you can make an argument that he really is the best middleweight out there today um you know you could argue with me and you know if somebody asked me right now hey billy who's the 
top middleweight in the world today? I would say, without hesitation, Triple G. Um, but Triple G, you know, he's been locked on Canelo. Canelo has been playing the games. We all know what, what happened with the with the performance enhancing drug situation, et cetera, et cetera. And when you start looking at the regular, uh, the rest of the division, the only other name that comes into mix is really, I'm like talking in one word today, that come into mix, no, that comes into the mix uh, is Billy Joe Saunders. And Billy Joe Saunders, you know, he's fighting, uh, he's got to fight, and uh, yes, that they want to fight, uh, uh, you know, Triple G. I personally think Triple G should uh, just go after Saunders. I, I don't think he should even waste his time with, with Canelo, but that's a whole nother story. Um, uh, so the next guy is Daniel Jacobs, and the computer sees him at number four. I look at his resume, and quite honestly, I, I wasn't impressed with his climb, all right? I mean, he was very carefully uh, moved, uh, and when he fought Dimitri Pryorg back in 2010, he got knocked out. Then we all know the story. He uh, had cancer. Uh, he beat it. He comes back in, in actually uh, less than a year and, and several months later and just got back up on the horse and, and has looked very good. Giovanni Lorenzo, Milton Nunez, uh, experienced fighters. He got wins over Fletcher, uh, Kaleeb Truax, Sergio Mora. I don't even, is a finished guy. Peter Quinlan, that seems like that was a strange fight. Um, then he fights Triple G, and he loses a 12-round decision. He's dropped in that fight, but after that, he kind of he kind of looks good. He, he he looks like he's the better fighter. Um, so I, I'm I'm very interested in seeing his fight this weekend. Uh, Suluki is not a bad opponent. Uh, he's actually younger than Daniel Jacobs, and he's also ranked at number four. The problem is he's ranked in the lower weight class. So Daniel Jacobs is actually fighting a good. Uh, junior middleweight, a, a, a very good uh, undefeated junior middleweight uh, who doesn't have much pop. I mean, he's 26-0 and 0 with 10 knockouts in the junior uh, middleweight division, and he's fought uh, no one um, comparable to uh, Daniel Jacobs. So we'll see what happens. Just a little uh, sidebar here. Uh, Hugo Centennial Jr., who was just annihilated by the monstrous, Char one of the monstrous Charlo brothers, he too was nothing more than a junior middleweight. That, that's what bothers me about these guys that are constantly uh, fighting smaller opponents. And, I, you know, I know Daniel Jacobs is, is in a situation where he um, is, uh, uh, you know, trying to position himself for a shot at the, uh, uh, at the middleweight uh, belt. So, um, nonetheless, you could make an argument that Danny Jacobs is actually the best middleweight right now. Uh, we'll see his performance on Saturday, I think, should go well. I'll give you my official breakdowns and predictions later in the week. Um, yesterday we touched on it a little bit. And, um, you know, uh, Donald Trump, uh, apparently um, Sylvester Stallone reached out to Donald Trump and uh, told him the story of, of, of Jack Johnson. Which, you know, that kind of bothered me in itself. Jack Johnson, everybody should know the Jack Johnson story. And especially a guy like uh, Donald Trump or President Trump, however you want to refer to him. Um, 
is uh, is a guy that was very involved in the sport of boxing in you know the '80s with Mike Tyson and stuff. Uh, you would think that along the way the guy would pick up a little of a historical uh, aspects of of the game, uh, but apparently uh, uh, last week uh, Sylvester Stallone uh, you know reached out to to uh, President Trump and was telling him about the Jack Johnson story and that uh, uh, he should have been pardoned, et cetera, et cetera. And then Donald Trump, which he rarely does, he, he sent out a treat, a tweet. <laughs> You know, uh, which I'm kidding. He he tweets more than he breathes. But uh, his tweet said, and I quote, Sylvester Stallone called me with the story of heavyweight boxing champ Jack Johnson. His trials and tribulations were great. His life complex and controversial. Uh, Others have looked at this over the years. Most thought it would be done. But yes, I am considering a full pardon uh, of Jack Johnson. Now, um, Senator John McCain had put out uh, a, uh, a, a, a bill or a petition or whatever uh, to pardon Jack Johnson back several times. But in 2016, it was the 70th uh, anniversary of uh, Jack Johnson's uh, passing. And the president at the time was uh, Obama, President Obama. And everyone thought that Barack Obama would uh, pardon him, but he didn't. And just like the presidents previously uh, to Obama, they didn't they didn't pardon Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson was charged with uh, the Mann Act, violating the Mann Act. The Mann Act was uh, put in place uh, for basically uh, um, uh, transporting women over state lines for immoral purposes. Its primary um, goal at the time was to prevent prostitution. And um, the problem with uh, Jack Johnson being charged with this was that he was transporting uh, transporting a, a woman who happened to have been white across state lines who also happened to have been his wife. So, I, you know, and not only does he get charged, he gets convicted in 1913. Um, and, you know, at the conviction, it was actually... The, not the wife, but the girlfriend. He had girlfriends and wives, and, uh, you know, Jack Johnson was, was my idol. But, uh, uh, I mean, the truth of the matter was the actual conviction was his girlfriend, but still uh, was certainly not uh, what the uh, what the Mann Act was intended for. And he was arrested. He went and uh, basically went into exile, was living outside the United States, um, uh, you know, fought James Jeffries, uh, in 1910 and then kind of uh, left um, and um, uh, you know he had won the title th- theoretically in 1908 in Australia but most of the world didn't recognize him as the champion until he beat James Jeffries in 1910 went into exile fought some defenses uh, outside the country and a lot of stuff was going on in that time one thing led to another specifically the passing of his mom and uh, he decided to turn himself in now, you would think after all of this time that, you know, they would cut some kind of deal with Jack Johnson. They made him serve the time. He had to, he had to go and serve some time for this. Um, this whole episode of Jack Johnson even being charged, let alone being convicted and being forced to do time, was an outrage. It's an outrage today. And I believe even though 
uh, we were in Jim Crow America at that time. It was an outrage then. And quite honestly, I don't know why a president has not pardoned him sooner. I wish they would have pardoned him during his lifetime. You know, this was a man that that really uh, set the bar and, you know, showed what what it's like to just refuse to be treated like a second class citizen. And I think a lot uh, of the world, especially, uh, you know, as we try to 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 even uh, the playing field with race relations, that Jack Johnson's name should be brought up. Uh, more often than it, it is. And I tell you another guy who should be, Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis fought a lot of uh, exhibition. As a matter of fact, those were the, uh, the, the fights that the government went after him for tax evasion. He donated all his purses to the war effort. But at that time, they wanted the, the military, our, the United States military was segregated. And they did not want... Uh, the uh, uh, black soldiers to be able to uh, sit in the same areas as the white soldiers to watch Joe Lewis fight. And Joe Lewis was like, forget about it. No, you know, you have to let the black soldiers watch my fights that I'm going to give you for nothing just as equal as the white soldiers can. And to be honest with you, uh, guys like uh, Joe Lewis uh, helped uh, the military uh, become more equal and guys before him, like Jack Johnson, uh, started the world to open their eyes towards equality. And uh, I feel that Jack Johnson easily uh, should have been pardoned. But uh, in any event, that's you're, I'm biased. I, Jack Johnson's one of my favorite fighters. As a matter of fact, I got his uh, photo right there in my studio. So uh, anyway, hey, listen, I'm going to take a short break. Uh, when I come back, I'm scheduled to have Dax Khan join us. So... Uh, don't go anyways. We'll be back in two. Billy C will be right back. Now back to talking boxing with Billy C, the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there, Jeremy. Man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C? Damn it! Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. The undisputed heavyweight champion of boxing talk radio. It's Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And speaking about being with us, joining us right now, uh, is uh, my main man, uh, Dax Khan. Good morning, Dax. Good morning. How are you today? Oh, peachy, my man, peachy. Um, uh, the Adrian Broner fight. Uh, we didn't uh, get a chance to ha- get your thoughts on that fight uh, from this past weekend. What'd you think, man? I mean, there's so many parts of it to, to discuss in a way. I mean, it was a good fight. It was an entertaining fight. I mean, I, just what's, what's your thoughts? I, what I want to know is what's your thoughts on the fight and then kind of like the aftermath. And when I say aftermath, is like, has anything changed with Broner? No, nothing has changed, unfortunately. Um, if anything, it was for the worst. Um, a draw is an acceptable 
result uh, majority draw. I personally had it 116-112 for Vargas because even though um, a lot of those rounds that were very close and Vargas wasn't doing much, Adrian Broner wasn't doing much either except he was coming forward. And I don't believe that the judges gave Vargas enough credit for the body work. Of course, you know, that body work that he was getting in there wasn't, you know, the type of body work that people expect where it was really hurting Broner, but, but he was getting in there. Um, you know, I gave Vargas... Uh, rounds I think one through seven I you know possibly Broner the fifth I gave Vargas the 12th um you know Broner he didn't learn nothing from Kevin Cunningham unfortunately Kevin Cunningham um I heard all the right instructions from him I heard the right types of motivational speeches in between rounds Broner just didn't carry him out uh you know round 12 prior to um Broner coming out, Kevin Cunningham's telling him, I need you to go out there and act like you need a knockout win. And Broner goes out there as like, it's just going to happen. You know, the jab bothered Adrian Broner um, very much like we've seen with Paulie Malignaggi. If Paulie Malignaggi had a little bit more power, even Jesse Vargas' power, I think Paulie Malignaggi would have won that fight. But, you know, Jesse Vargas, when he used the jab, Adrian Broner had no answers. I think the biggest mistake on this here was I, Jesse Vargas himself might have underestimated Adrian Broner's chin and his ability to take a punch to the body. You can see how he tired himself out and he slowed down later on. What I did like is that when Mike McCallum uh, gave him instructions, Jesse Vargas carried out the instructions. When Mike McCallum would say, okay, now time to go back to the jab, Jesse Vargas would go back to the jab. So, you know, Broner, um, he's always had a great chin. You know, he's a short, stocky guy. Um, you know, he, he puts on good fights when he goes out there and he lets his hands go. But, you know, again, he doesn't listen to his corner. He has a um, th that horrible attitude that's really just going to bring him down quickly. You know, well, we've seen him just um, falling quickly, but, you know, it's, it's going to be uh, sooner than later. Broner is doing more or less that uh, self-promotion ploy of I don't care if fans watch me to win or they watch me to lose so long as they watch me, which is great. But you know what? You have to be winning for that aspect. You know, fans will watch somebody who's winning, whether or not to see them win or hopefully they see them lose. But you have to be winning. Once you start racking up these losses and become mediocre, they're going to move on to somebody else. The 140-pound division is really stacked right now with a lot of young upcoming guys who can conduct themselves uh, properly. Same thing with 147 pounds. So Adrian Broner, if he keeps doing what he's doing, you know, he's more or less going to be that guy that gets pushed aside because the act is getting old and people aren't going to like, um, you know, seeing the nonsense anymore. As for the post-fight, I was disappointed that Jesse Vargas allowed Adrian Broner to drag him into that nonsense. Jesse Vargas is better than that, but, you know, Adrian Broner does have a way of getting underneath people's skin. So I think uh, Jesse Vargas, you know, where he goes from here, um, I don't know. I think maybe if he can make 140 pounds, which he will, uh, is a former world champion, and he can make some noise, he'd be, um, you know, very competitive, uh, his mediocre power at best. Um, along with his uh, his skill set, you know, could make him one of the top guys. As for Adrian Broner right now, really, to be honest with you, he's one or two fights away from being just another cliche. You know, first I want to address the post-fight uh, WWE thing. I'm not blaming Jesse for anything on that. And, I, and, and to be honest with you, you know who you blame? Showtime. Because, Abr I mean, um, Jesse Vargas and, and Adrian Broner kind of – if, if you go back and watch the fight, as soon as the fight's over and, you know, they kind of, 
you know, did a haphazardly uh, embracing of each other, it, they kind of whispered into each other's ears, like, okay, this is what's going to happen. And then um, Jim Gray, who's who's the worst. I, I, well, no, Ronaldo's the worst. But Jim Gray, I, I just never liked because of what he did to Pete Rose. But anyway, he kind of let them. You know, they kind of let them go back and forth. And it's almost like that's their way of, you know, the possibility of br building up a rematch or whatever. And, and I've noticed it um, more often than not with Showtime, letting, letting that kind of tactic happen. Uh, as far as Adrian Broner, you know, the, the, the value he brings, uh, Dax, and I agree with everything you said uh, about the, you know, the uh, nuts and bolts of uh, Cunningham, uh, you know, pleading with him to throw more punches. It doesn't matter who's in the corner. He does what he wants, it seems. But, um, you know, I, I think Adrian Broner has a spot in boxing. He's got a good chin. He goes rounds. Um, and he's beatable. I, I wouldn't be surprised to start seeing him in there with bigger names as an opponent. Uh, you know, he has hand speed, and if he and he's and he was in shape. He didn't seem to tire. He was in the better shape of the two uh, between him and and Vargas. And if he did let his hands go, uh, he would be a better fighter. He would win on scorecards. The fight was close. It was a close fight because. Uh, Adrian Broner is extremely accurate, and Vargas threw a lot of punches, but wasn't so much accurate. I, I don't know. I could see him being, uh, you know, a fighting a, a Spence, a Thurman, uh, you know, a, as an opponent. I, I really can, and he makes some money doing it. Yeah, yeah. If that's the route you want to go, yeah. Do you want to go on and be an opponent for these guys? Yeah, but what's his other option? He doesn't really have but many options. Like his you said. other option is, you know what? Change your attitude, buckle down, do what you're supposed to do, and get back on track to where you once were. That's your other option. Yeah, but can a guy like him actually buckle down and and change his attitude? I mean, what, listen, we saw firsthand. Adrian Broner, Jekyll and Hyde, on Saturday night when he first yanked the mic out of the uh, hands of, of uh, Jim Gray. He, he was talking smack. I won it. I beat your ass, blah, 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 blah. And he gets in, in Jesse Vargas's face. Um, then uh, Gray gets the, the uh, uh, mic back. You know, we see uh, Adrian Broner pacing around in the back. He talks to, to uh, uh, Vargas a little bit. Then he hands the, the mic back to, to Adrian Broner. And Adrian Broner acts like it was the first time he had the mic. He says, first thing I want to do is I want to thank God. I want to do it. And I'm saying to myself, wait a minute. Is there a twin? Does he have a twin? What, what happened to the guy that was just there? You know, so, I mean, we do have a guy that might have some mental issues or forgets the role he's playing. I don't know. But I witnessed those things on Saturday, and I, I just couldn't help but think, this was all a big act from everybody. He's, he's still young, and I agree with that. You know, Showtime shouldn't allow that. At any point in time, they can cut off to something else. They can go to a promo for an upcoming fight. They can go back to the locker rooms and show uh, the two fighters getting ready to come out. They can do a million other things. But, you know, unfortunately, that's his generation. They kind of like that drama. But as for Adrian Broner, he's still young. Um, you know, I think when I watch him go off on Leonard Ellerbe, at first, I thought I was like, wow, you know, these are the guys that have been there for you for so long, um, more or less kind of helped you uh, rise to, the, to this level in terms of popularity and promotional wise. But on the other side, I was sitting there saying to myself, you know, maybe Adrian Broner in a way is kind of uh, looking and saying, you know, realizing, you know what, I'm just being used more or less as a, uh, um, 
you know, these guys are never going to really give me the chance to, to shine. And he's frustrated and you have a lot of yes men in your ear. I, you know, I, I really don't know, you know, what goes through his head between the social media, the, uh, the, the mock uh, suicide attempts. You know, obviously he has trouble. And we've seen that not with just Adrian Broner. We've seen that with a lot of fighters over the years. But, you know, Kevin Cunningham. What I thought, I thought that was going to be great. Kevin Cunningham, a no-nonsense guy, you know, a former police officer, a guy who's going to sit there, you know, and tell you all the right things to do. If Adrian Broner would just change that attitude, he's so appealing. Floyd Mayweather, you know, um, Floyd, uh, you know, the things about this modern-day era, you know, people didn't appreciate his uh, defensive style, and he was a defensive master, so he created that money Mayweather persona. You know, people who think that Floyd Mayweather is really like that 24-7, it's not true. You know, there's, there's a Floyd Mayweather for the cameras. There's a Floyd Mayweather when not for the cameras. And, you know, and that's how Floyd Mayweather was able to make sure he kept drawing in the fans. And you know what? They're tuning in to whether or not they want to see me win or they want to see me lose as long as they keep uh, tuning in. And Adrian Broner, more or less, is trying to follow that, but he's going about it in the wrong way. But, you know, the key factor is you have to keep on winning because if you're not keeping on winning, they're just going on to the next stage of guys that are winning. And in this era, if anything has become most important, it doesn't matter, you know, who the fighter is, that O. Fans covet that O more than anything. Now, if you have that O and you're able to talk like that, then you're a megastar. But you have to have that O and you can't be an opponent because eventually you're just going to keep on trickling down that list. And people just don't want you no more. And then the networks don't want to deal with you. And then you burn all the bridges, whether it be promoters, whether it's trainers, whether it's friends. What do you have then? You have nothing. Yeah, you know, the O is only real valuable here in the states i mean yes everyone wants an o but the uh outside the u.s other fights uh, uh seem to happen uh, with well, or he's without. not outside the u.s is no, no 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 I, I know, <laughs> right. I know. um now uh, the other fight i wanted to ask you about i was impressed with javante davis i i thought javante davis showed us everything that we want to see from this guy he's extremely fast he's exciting to watch um, if he can keep his head set straight and he doesn't become another Adrian Broner, uh, I think this guy could do special things in, in inside the ring. Uh, what was your thoughts? Exactly. Um, I believe I you know, spoke about that maybe on Friday. You know, so I'm not really a big fan of Javante Davis because of his actions of where, you know, it seemed like a lot of times he's trying to mimic Adrian Broner. But, you know, um, Friday at his final press, at, you know, or Thursday at the final pressers, we spoke about Friday, um, he admitted that he needed attitude changes. He admitted that he didn't focus and he should never lost his title on the scales. You know, again, you know, he's a young kid, um, a lot of yes men, a lot of people filling his ear talking about greatness, greatness, greatness. When you're young and you're making that money, you start, you start to believe these things. But, you know... Um, his post-fight uh, attitude, he was humble. Um, you know, you could definitely see the influence of Kevin Cunningham. He's probably in the best physical condition I've ever seen him in. Even though the fight only lasted three rounds, you can just tell by, by the shape. You can tell by the focus. Um, he was sharp. He was accurate. Uh, you know, Quaylar is, uh, is no slouch. Um, he did come in off a long layoff, uh, you know, from a lower division. But he came right at uh, Javante Davis, you would think that maybe Javante Davis would have been rattled a little bit, but Davis remained totally composed. He looked for those openings. He was sharp. He was accurate. Those punches were hard. And so, you know, Javante Davis, I really like this version of Javante Davis. And if it can remain this version of Javante Davis with the attitude, with the work rate, um, you know, coming in there and the way he performed, he's the guy that I really do believe can be, uh, you know, a star. Um, not yet. 
despite what a lot of fans, uh, you know, fans in this sport had this problem with jumping on bandwagons. No, he's not ready for a Vassal Lomachenko yet. But, you know, if Vassal Lomachenko, who's going to face Jorge Linares at 135 pounds, decides to stay at 135 pounds, this version of Javante Davis, I believe, can be the next king at super featherweight. You know, I, I like this version of him, and I just hope to see more of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And the Charlo brothers, you know, I, these guys, they come in shape. They look good when they fight. People criticize me for criticizing them. Um, the reason why I criticize them is, I, I, you know, I feel like as a when I put my, my boxing purist or, or boxing fan hat on, Dax, I feel that when we're constantly seeing a fighter look as fantastic as Charlo did on Saturday and, and his brother does as well, um, I, I just want to see them look just as fantastic against an evenly matched opponent. I, I mean, you know, yeah, he looked great against Centennial Jr., but Centennial Jr. was a junior middleweight moving up. You know, uh, he, he clearly looked way bigger. Height-wise, no. But body-wise, you know, I, I just... And then he says, everybody's ducking me, everybody... And, and it seems like Al Heyman fighters, that's their MO. That's what they're instructed to say as soon as the mic gets in front of their face. Everybody's ducking me. No one wants to fight me. Uh, who's ever ducked a Charlo brother? I've never seen them go after a top guy that's the same size or, or even in the legitimate same weight class. It, it, you know, he re was referring to Triple G as ducking him. I, 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 I can't see it. What was your thoughts of the performance? Are these guys getting better? You know, just as expected as you stated Friday, those absurd well, Las Vegas odds in favor of Charlo, you know, just so you know, to, to what you said, you know, how good is somebody, how good is a fighter? We don't know how good a fighter is when they're walking through and they're knocking guys out until they have a little bit of adversity, until they really get hit, until they get buzzed. We'll use Triple G, for example. You know, people never really knew, well, how good is he? You know, he's getting all these guys that are in there that are, are rolling over, they're laying down on him. And then, you know, then all of a sudden you start realizing, you know what, this guy can really take a punch. And then, you know, you start seeing some of the other things, he, uh, you know, he can do in there. Then, uh, then all of a sudden, you know, it puts into, like, a new perspective. We don't know how a Charlo is going to act. Once, uh, what if they get knocked down? What if they get hurt? What if they're, you know, they're on the back foot? We haven't seen that. That's what really tells you how good a fighter is. Everybody is great when they're coming forward and they're overpowering. Uh, the big talk right now among fans and social media and, you know, um, you know, even, even some media members and, uh, you know, uh, promoters, you know, just when they do, as you say, putting their fan hat on is uh, one of the Charlos against uh, Jared Hurd, another really big 154 pound fighter who applies a lot of pressure, who can take a good punch. Why hasn't that fight been made? You know, that, that would be a great fight, uh, both the same size, around the same age. You know, so you kind of, you know, question why, why aren't they making a fight like that? Is that kind of saying that, you know... More or less, with all these PBC fighters, it seems that they're not matching them up against each other because if they do, that means one of these guys are going to take a loss, and that means one less guy in this era in the United States, as you, as you uh, so well pointed out before, where that O was so important. If one of these guys loses their O, all of a sudden their marketability drops levels, and now all of a sudden we have to actually work to do some PR and market this guy, and we don't want to do that, so let's just keep that O, and as long as that O is there, he's easy to sell. And in my opinion, that's why those fights aren't being made amongst each other. Unfortunately, 
You know, Dana White, not too long ago, talk, uh, you know, the news was he might enter the boxing business. In the UFC, that's the difference. You know, there are no easy fights. There are no layup fights. And that should be the same thing in boxing. It's a reason why, um, you know, like the tournament, the World Boxing Super Series is so exciting. And um, it's been so successful. Why? Because either you're fighting the best guy in there or you're not fighting at all. And that's the way it should be. So the PBC, in a way, it's kind of got its own league, except it's this league that, you know, is carefully choosing their opponents. Hey, uh, before we... Uh... I have one other question on that and then something else before we let you go. But I, I want to uh, thank uh, my man Johnston just gave us a super chat. Uh, he says, uh, UK boxing stadium bouts. Billy Joe Saunders against Triple G. The gal against uh, Groves. He's saying uh, that uh, at uh, Merte's uh, stadium, 60,000 fans or even Smith Anfield, Brooke Kahn. Uh, Bramall, Lane, and Wilder, AJ, uh, are all big fights. You see, that's the difference, and that's thanks for the uh, super chat, Johnson. He, he's our man, man. He's uh, he's hooking us up. But um, you know, the thing is, Dax, that these stadiums, and and I love listening to a, a, a fan of specifically Al Heyman fighters. They all seem to say the same. You must, when you're a, become a fan of an Al Heyman fighter, you must get like a. A, a list of things that you you say in defense of your fighter all the time, and and what I always hear from these guys, I, I'll, I'll make Thank a statement. Well, no, no, well, no, 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 not <laughs> not that. But listen, and you're gonna laugh because you got a guy like AJ. He goes, he sells out ninety thousand seats, and a Wilder fan slash Heyman fighter would say, yeah, but they only sell those tickets for two dollars a piece. They never they never give any credit. To 90,000 fannies in the seats. I mean, that's the big difference here, you know? I mean, we just don't get people that will go out, but... Uh, uh, they just don't want to give any credit to anything outside that circle. No, no. Hey, listen, one last question on the fights, and then I, I got something else I wanted to ask you real quick, but in the Charlo fight, um, Centennial was knocked out. And I, I was talking about this yesterday. This really bothered me, especially in, in the state of New York. Centennial was knocked out. He's hang. Oh, his head is 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 barely on the the ring apron. Okay, it's kind of like off the ring apron. His body is through the ropes. He's laying flat on his back. He's not moving. He's clearly knocked out. And that clown of a referee that the networks love because he makes all those stupid faces and dancing around and, and he's terrible. Stephen Willis. Um, he's counting over this knocked out cold guy, Dax. Until he got to 10. What happened to safety first? Did he really have to count to 10? Or was he just trying to get more air time? That's what it seemed to me. Uh, because this was a fight. There's certain knockouts or knockdowns or whatever that a referee doesn't have to count. It's over. When a guy is laying flat on his back, half his body is inside the ropes and the other half is outside the ropes, the fight's over, Dax. He wasn't even trying to get up. What was your thoughts on that move from him? You know, you're not the only one who, who uh, thinks that. I, you know, I thought that a lot, a lot of people thought that. You know, so why even bother in counting? Um, you know, he's, Steve, he's a decent referee. He's not a great referee. He's a decent referee. But, yes, uh, um, certain types of fans like him because of his, um, his in-ring. Now, you... You're, you're, when, he, when he makes mistakes like this, it's absurd. Yeah, you 
Dax, yeah. yeah, you're breaking up really bad. Like, all of a sudden, your picture is bad and everything else. Um, but, yeah, I, I got what you were saying. Uh, you, were, you were saying that you thought that uh, he does a good job. I, I, I really don't see him yeah, he's, as— he's a decent, he's a decent ref, but, you know, he's not a great ref. I don't think he's— I, I th- Decent, okay, I, I'll give him that. I don't think he's a good ref. I think uh, I see. I think that uh, Charlie Fitch is way better. I think Doc uh, Harvey Doc is way better. You know, I, there's there's a lot of uh, referees out there that are way better. Ron Lipton. There, there's a lot of uh, referees out there that are ten times better than this guy who keeps getting the assignments because the announcers like him. They, they, you see, these fights that are on television, they're trying to create an atmosphere for the audience and this guy makes face you see they shouldn't be rewarded because they're they're camera friendly they should be rewarded because they do a good job as the third man in the ring i don't want to remember who the ref was because it doesn't matter to me who the ref was i remember who the ref was in that fight because i felt that they, there was no reason for him to count from one to ten i i i assume that the guy knows how to count to ten you know so i i don't know listen one more question for you um, on the uh, this whole uh, uh, discussion between uh, uh, the world and and pardoning of Jack Johnson, uh, Donald Trump apparently has uh, tweeted. I know that's a rarity for him, but he's tweeted that uh, after his conversation with uh, uh, with uh, Sylvester Stallone that he's uh, considering a full pardon uh, for Jack Johnson. Something that I felt should have been done a long time ago. Do you have any thoughts on this uh, or 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 what? You know, listen, those were, it was a different time. It was a different era. It was a different mindset. You know, that law really was one of those type of laws where, you know what, you know, Bill's crossing, uh, you know, the state line with somebody. I pull him over, and because I have nothing else to get him on, I'm going to say, oh, you know what, uh, you, you didn't put your blinker on, so to speak, That you know, that type of thing. And so with that on there, is more or less, you know, the, the burden of, or, yeah, you, you're bringing her over line for, you know, to uh, do things that, you know, inappropriate things that don't meet the uh, criteria. Now, you know, you're violating the Mann Act. And, you know, so it was really an absurd law, uh, despite what it was created for, uh, you know, to, um, you know, limit or, you know, at, at best limit prostitution. It was one of those things that, you know, at any point in time you can use that, but, you know, Jack Johnson years ago, that should have been uh, pardoned, should have been put away. You know, nowadays, when you look on the book, think about some of the laws that are on the books. Um, you know, I won't go into detail. You know, I, I, you know, I invite people out there to go do their own, um, um, his, you know, their own investigations. There are some states, literally, that in there are, there are certain states that it's okay still today to beat your wife on a Sunday if you use a belt no thicker than two inches, but it can't be any thinner than one inch. And this is a law that can get away with that. It's still on the books. You know, so this thing with Jack Johnson, you know, was absurd. Years ago, it should have been. You brought up a valid point with uh, Joe Lewis, you know, a guy where, um, you know, how could you have done that to somebody who was donating his purses to the military and then you're taxing him on top of that and was already giving that money back to, you know, it, like, it was a different time. It was a different era. And I don't think that um, any president, especially Donald Trump, should try and use this as some sort of heroic action. You know, this is one of those things that should be done quietly and just released. It, it's not something that should even be made like uh, multimedia, you know. So, so that disappoints me. You know, they're using this as like, you know, a selling point, um, um, an angle to make themselves look good. Just pardon the man. Let somebody else put that out there. It should have been done long ago. 
Dax, I appreciate your uh, input, and uh, we'll look forward to you later in the week with the breakdowns and predictions. There's a lot of uh, good fights scheduled for this weekend. Yeah, there is a lot of good fights. Uh, one thing, you know, we do got to give a shout out, you know, to a couple of our fans and uh, the guys up at the Genesee Brewery, Bill. Uh, we've been very active on Matthew Quinn and uh, the workers up at the Genesee Brewery have very uh, been very interactive with us on our Twitter account. Um, the other day they were uh, talking to me and telling me about this uh, picture that hangs of Carmen Basilio still hanging up at the Genesee Brewery from back when he used to work there full time while resuming his boxing career. Last week we were speaking about uh, those lunch, bring your lunch pail to work type fighters. You know, that's true. He was truly one of the first bring your lunch pail to work type fighters because that was the guy who worked not only in the onion fields, but he would work in that brewery full time while he was training after work during his lunch hour, you know, to go in there against these big fights and become a Hall of Famer and all time great. I didn't even know he worked at the Genesee Brewery. So, you know, thank them for that little bit of a history and the fact that that's still up there. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Dax, we've got to take a break. We'll talk to you later, my man. All right, everybody, have a good day. That's Dax Khan. We got to take a short break. We'll be back in two. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C. He may not have an Excellence in Broadcasting Award, but the night's still young. And he's got martinis. So you never know what may be by morning. By morning. It's talking Boxing with Billy C. Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy, Billy C. C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us today. I want to thank everybody uh, that uh, takes care of us with the Super Chats. It uh, goes a long way. And uh, as we've been saying for a while, you know, our primary focus, our show is in its 15th year, and our primary focus has always been uh, radio and then uh, television we did start out on the internet, so we are happy and proud to be on uh, uh, both uh, television and radio uh, currently, but we also love our internet presence, and with the internet comes uh, our YouTube presence, and our YouTube presence, although we've been putting our shows up on YouTube for quite some time, we really didn't pay much attention to YouTube. That's all changed as 2018 has kicked off, and uh, we're, we're actually focusing on a lot of stuff that's going on in YouTube. And one of the, the things is the Super Chat, and we really appreciate it. As a matter of fact, we are going to uh, have a show. I, I thought it was going to be today, but uh, uh, it, it worked out uh, that it wasn't. But we are going to have a show uh, later this week that we're hoping that all of you uh, that uh, visit us in, in the uh, chat room on YouTube uh, can hook us up with a Super Chat because uh, we're trying to, uh, raise some funds for the show, and uh, that would be a, a great uh, opportunity and get your point across. So we're going to open up uh, the Super Chats. Uh, it looks like Thursday. looks like Thursday we'll, uh, uh, we'll be doing that. So uh, mark that one down. And by the way, if you are a YouTube uh, uh, viewer 
do me a favor. If you haven't subscribed, subscribe. Uh, we're trying to beef up our subscriptions. Uh, but uh, in any event, um, Errol Spence Jr., undefeated uh, uh, IBF World Welterweight Champion. Many regard him as the best uh, welterweight in the world today. Uh, made it official uh, over the weekend. He's fighting uh, on June 16th in his home state of Dallas, and he will be taking on the undefeated uh, Carlos Ocampo, who's 22-0 and with 13 knockouts. We all want to see him fight um, Keith Thurman, but Keith Thurman is, uh, you know, uh, comes up with more excuses than a third grader with not bringing their homework in. But well, maybe third grade's a little too young. I don't know. Um, the uh, We got an email that I should read right now to get it out of the way. This is from my man, Sean. And uh, Sean says, hey, Billy C., uh, this is Sean from New Jersey. Hey, Sean from New Jersey. Uh, he says, uh, it was a great fight Saturday night once Broner let his hands go. Uh, in the middle rounds. My question is, why doesn't he let his hands go more often? His speed and accuracy are his strengths, and if he and if it was used right, he could be tough to beat. To me, Billy C., he reminds me of J Zab Judah, a fighter with incredible talent but couldn't put it all together on fight night, which is frustrating if you're a fan. Other than Broner's classless behavior after the fight, do you think he did enough in the fight uh, to uh, garner another big fight and regain the trust in his fans that he has uh, dedicated himself to the sport. Um, you know, I, I think, I think that Adrian Broner and, and I, I was, you know, kind of alluding to this when Dax was just on. Um, I think that Adrian Broner has accepted the villain role. I think that he uh, is is happy being the bad guy. We saw a tale of two Adrian Broners uh, in the ring uh, post-fight. Uh, this was a guy that, uh, uh, you know, was rambling on and on and on. And then he gets the microphone the second time, and it's like another guy popped in. And he's like, I want to thank God for it. Like, like he never even, uh, you know, was in front of the mic originally. So, uh, you know, I think he's happy with the, with the villain role. And I think that he's... Uh, uh, gonna be uh, a uh, a villain, uh, no matter what. Um, with that said, I'm one of these guys that always thought that he possessed a lot of talent. As a lightweight, I, I loved him. I thought this guy was gonna be uh, an all-time great. Uh, unfortunately, he uh, went down the wrong path. You know what happens with these guys that latch on to Floyd Mayweather is that they they miss. Uh, they, I guess the best way to describe it is they misunderstand Floyd. And what I mean by that is Floyd plays the villain too. And Floyd does get in trouble outside the ring, specific things. But for the most part, he kind of, he doesn't go over the edge. He, he pushes the envelope enough to get a little press with the exception of, you know, beating the hell out of his uh, girlfriend in front of the kids with bodyguards preventing them from leaving and the fact that he did some time in a, uh, you know, community jail, which he likes to refer to as prison. Um, you know, aside from that, he's, he's stayed one step ahead, it seems. And he never let uh, drugs or alcohol interfere. He never... Uh, I mean, yeah, he did have that skate ice skating rink uh, episode, but for the most part, he hasn't done anything uh, to to get 
you know, other press that would bring the law on him um, as much as Adrian Broner did. So being a bad guy doesn't mean that you have to go fondle women or get into fights, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the problem with Adrian Broner is, I believe that when he when he moved up from lightweight, that he got a little lazy and he ballooned up a little bit, and then decided to campaign in bigger weight classes because uh, it didn't take as much effort then he's not really an old guy, like Dax just said. I mean, he's still in his prime. And, uh, you know, I, he, you know, maybe junior welterweight would be a better division for him. Um, maybe maybe, uh, maybe he is in a, a, the right division at welterweight. This was a catchweight uh, that he fought at 144, so I would assume that he can make 140. At 140, uh, Adrian Broner's a dangerous fighter. Um the the problem that he has is that um, he just he, he doesn't let his hands go, and he didn't let his hands go for Kevin Cunningham, and he didn't let his hands go for every other trainer that he's ever worked with, you know. So this is a uh, uh, an ongoing uh, issue with him. It's 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 a habit, uh, you know. It's a habit that he developed, just like Leo Santa Cruz with that habit where he's he's shaking his uh, glove all the time, you know. Um, can he break it? I, I don't know. You know, I don't know what it would take uh, to have him go in. Listen, his accuracy is there. And I agree with my man Sean that he is tough to beat. And he's going to give you a tough fight. And if you're able to stand in the pocket with him and exchange, you can coax him into exchanging back. Vargas wasn't fast enough. Vargas threw punches, but they weren't hard enough. They weren't getting the attention of Broner. So in in Vargas, you had a busy fighter who was game, who was willing to stand in the pocket, but didn't have the overall skill set to really force Adrian Broner. Now, now, and that's the right word, force. Because for some reason, if you don't force Adrian Broner, he's content trying to pick shot you one or two shots here and there. You know? So uh, if Vargas had a little more pop behind his punches, and another thing, like also Dax said earlier, if the judges were scoring more for the body work that Jesse Vargas invested in, um, maybe the outcome would have been different. But I, I think what you need to be successful against Adrian Broner is you need the willingness to stand in the pocket. You need a tight defense because Adrian Broner can uh, can deliver and land punches. He's very accurate. And you got to have some pop. you got to have some pop to fight Adrian Broner. Now, as far as Adrian... And, and that, if you have some pop and you're willing to stand in the pocket and you have a decent defense where you can slip some punches, you'll bring out a, a higher-volume version of Adrian Broner than he uh, does on his own. If you're content with doing what uh, Jesse Vargas was doing in the latter part of the fight on Saturday night, you're going to get the same version of Adrian Broner that we saw. And the pleading and the begging and the, you know, uh, the, the rah-rah crap that you hear in the corner isn't going to help him. It's not. It's just not. Thanks for the email, Sean. Uh, appreciate the interaction. Um, one other thing I wanted to talk about today 
was um, there was uh, a fight that took place uh, between uh, um, you know Deontay Wilder and uh, Alexander Povetkin. Um, oh wait a minute, the fight never took place. Oh, that's right. What I meant was the fight that took place outside of the ring. If you remember back in 2016, Deontay Wilder um, was scheduled to fight Alexander Povetkin. He, uh, I don't know if he actually went to Russia or what, but then it came out that Povetkin tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs, and uh, Deontay Wilder uh, pulled the old, uh, uh, you know, Puma move, uh, exit, sta- exit stage left, uh, and uh, ran uh, back to the U.S. And um, as subsequently, as we found out, uh, Alexander Povetkin uh, ended up not testing positive. Um, and this uh, uh, resulted in a couple of lawsuits. Number one, Team Wilder sued Team Povetkin, uh, and then uh, uh, Team Povetkin turned around and sued uh, Team Wilder. Now, Team uh, Wilder's lawsuit against Team Povetkin actually uh won the initial suit back in 2017 and they were awarded five million dollars um the other day it was reported that pavetkin's team won a 4.3 million dollar victory over uh a team wilder uh so in a sense deontay wilder has lost almost a million dollars seven hundred thousand that most likely went to his uh, training and, and expenses, etc., etc. Now, keep in mind that uh, Team Povetkin had also uh, put in a counter lawsuit for $34.5 million U.S. for defamation of character, for not only uh, defamation of character for Povetkin, but also uh, for his uh, uh, promoter, uh, Rabinsky, uh, the uh, Russian promoter that we've uh, uh, talked about. So, uh, we'll see what happens uh, with this. Each fighter so far winning outside the ring court battle. Uh, Povetkin's team won a $4.3 million suit, and Wilder won a $5 million suit. We have a uh, difference in suits uh, of $700,000. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure uh, what all of this means, but uh, uh, what I hope it means is that... Uh, Deontay Wilder uh, and his team realize that they need some money and they better sign the fight with uh, uh, Anthony Joshua uh, ASAP. Personally, I don't think that fight's going to take place. Uh, I don't think that uh, unless unless that they've been negotiating uh, behind closed doors the way they should and they're going to make this announcement Thursday that the fight is signed, sealed, and delivered, that would be a pleasant pleasant surprise that we would all be talking about from now until the bell rings about that fight the significance of the fight the importance of the fight etc 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 if the announcement is not made by the end of this week um you're going to see a huge and quick shift in focus um between uh uh, team aj and team pavetkin uh, to try and get a deal done uh prior to the uh uh, the uh, 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 bid process, the purse bid process. Their open negotiation period, from what I understand, ends next week. Um, our trivia question. 
Yeah, yeah. The trivia question, see? Um, our trivia question is a tough one. And I want to thank everybody who uh, uh, tried to, uh, um, you know, get it correct. It's a tough one. And, and you know what? Occasionally, uh, we will, uh, you know, mix in a, a what I would call an easy one. Um, one that you could find out answers, but but these last couple have been pretty tough. Um, so if if you're the first one to get this one correct, um, you'll win uh, your very own copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game, the same game that Alex Perpali uses uh, when we do our Blast from the Past simulations. Uh, and tomorrow our Blast from the Past is uh, as per request on uh, Boxing Hall of Famer uh, Memphis Pal Moore. Um, here's the question, and you have to email it, Billy at Talkin' Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G uh, dot com. It's the only way we're going to take uh, the uh, the answer, and because we can timestamp them. Now, I gave you some hints uh, yesterday, and I, I guess I'm going to have to give you uh, more. Um, the question is this, before... My 20th birthday, I beat four world champions and lost to another one who I also defeated just one month past my 20th birthday. Who am I? Before my 20th birthday, I beat four world champions and lost to another one uh, who I also defeated just one month past my 20th birthday. Who am I? So if you're the first one to email me, Billy at Talkin' Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G, Com, you'll win uh, your very own copy of the title bout uh, championship computer game. Um, we, uh, uh, you see, um, we, uh, we have that um, question. And, you know, the, uh, the beauty of it is that I'm going uh, uh, to give you um, some, uh, some answers, some hints, I should say. Um, here's... Let me read the question and I'll give you the hints. Um, Before my 20th birthday, I beat four world champions and lost to another one, who I also defeated just one month past my 20th birthday. Who am I? Here's the hints I've already given you. Um, He's very well known. Um, He fought in multiple divisions. He fought for the world heavyweight title. I'm going to give you one more hint today. Not only did he fight for the world heavyweight title, but he fought against a very dominating heavyweight champion and came up short. A very dominating heavyweight champion, and he came up uh, short. So I'm just, I have to document that because I just did that on the fly. All right, so here's the hint. Here's the, I'm going to give you the question one more time with all the hints. And if you're the first one to email me, Billy at Talking Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com, you will win the prize. Before my 20th birthday, I beat four world champions and lost to another one who I also defeated just one month past my 20th birthday. Who am I? The hints are he was extremely well-known. He fought in multiple divisions. He fought for the heavyweight world title. And the guy he fought for the heavyweight world title was a, a, a very dominating uh, champion. And this guy came up short against this guy. 
If you're the first one to email me, Billy at Talkin Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G dot com, you'll win uh, the prize. So uh, make sure you uh, um, do that. Um, our, uh, on this day in boxing history, April 24th in 2004, Vitaly Klitschko knocks out Corey Sanders in the eighth round to win the WBC and the vacant world heavyweight titles. That took place in uh, Los Angeles, California. On this day in 1999, Keith Holmes knocks out Haseen Sharifi in the seventh round to regain the world WBC world middleweight title. It took place in Washington. On this day in 1916, Jack Britton wins a 20-round decision over Ted Kidd Lewis to win the world welterweight title, and that took place in New Orleans. Uh, on this day in 1931, Tony Canzanori knocks out Jack Kid Berg in the third round to win the world junior welterweight title, and that took place in Chicago. On this day in 1998, Manuel Medina wins a 12-round decision over Hector Lizarga to regain the IBF world featherweight title, and that took place in Jose, uh, California on this day. And on this day in 1999, Mark Johnson wins a 12-round decision over uh, Radonachi Vorapin to win the vacant IBF World Junior Bantamweight title, and that took place in Washington, D.C. on this day in 1999. Hey, boys and girls, that concludes our show for today. Make sure you tune in tomorrow morning. Same bet time, same bet, same bet time, same bet channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby.